0: Welcome, everybody. It's time for our weekly installment of Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2. People G2, a company that's designed to help you with all your people issues. With our host today, it's Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. My name again is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent. On this show, we talk about talent in two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully, that makes sense. The word talent has two different meanings here in the business world, and our show looks to explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and all types of interesting people from all different industries. When I'm out at networking events and conferences, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guests today, Michael Gorlick and Lisa Perrin, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions and try to stump them if possible via Twitter. Just tweet your questions to peopleg 2 hashtag talent talk, and my producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget you can also listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes as well as Android, and you can uh, subscribe to the weekly show to have it sent to you. We have, uh, just as of today, over 4,000 people who have subscribed to our podcast in such a short time, and we're really proud of that. With that said, let's get today's show started. Again, my guests are Michael Gorlick, Vice President of Benefit Equity, Inc., and Lisa Perrin, CEO of Symbolta Systems Corporation. Lisa will be joining me in the second half of the show, so let's get uh, started with my first guest. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background and the company you work
2: for, Benefit Equity. Great. Thank you. Um, Well... I started my career uh, with Frito-Lay right out of college. Uh, my um, background really leading up to that was uh, marketing and business in college. Uh, my father, who was a huge influence in my career, was a consumer product uh, sales, sales manager, HR person, worked for $2 billion organizations, and so that was an influence for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he, um, he actually opened up my first door with Frito-Lay and getting that exposure. Uh, so when I um, actually went to work for him as an executive headhunter after my time at Frito, uh, that was it was a very natural way to go to 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 explore talent in that field. He needed help broadening his uh, his business, uh, looking for talent as a, an executive recruiter. Um, his specialty was beverages, so it, mine became more of a non. Beverage, food, non-food, really anything sold in a grocery store. Those are the companies I worked with. Right. Coca Cola, well, uh, Procter and Gamble, Dan mm-hmm. and Yogurt. Um, so that was about seven and a half of my years um, with him, and um, he made me a partner. And you know, from that time, the challenge was was learning. Was I learning new things? Was I, you know, growing as a as an executive? And for me, it was a lot of fun. I was making good money, but it wasn't the challenge uh my uncle had approached me who owns um, benefit equity today he recruited me away from his brother That was a great story
1: <laughs> must be fun at thanksgiving right yeah and, it was fun for a while time, no,
2: <laughs> i joke about it but uh, you know they always wanted what was best for me joining uh benefit equity in 1995 as a sales manager uh that was you know and becoming learning how to become a pension consultant Now, I was surrounded by tremendous talent, people with 30 years of of pension experience, Mm -hmm. um, then going to to different schooling and designation programs to be be a a skilled technician in the business. And that's where I've been for 18 years. And um, we've grown our practice uh, as a third-party retirement plan administration firm. I mean, we are a consulting retirement plan business, working with small businesses throughout Southern California and some throughout uh, the country, mostly here were brought in to a small business from their financial advisor, their CPA, uh, some trusted resource mm-hmm. uh, will bring us in, and then we will explore the solutions of and designing a retirement plan for that business.
1: As your role now, uh, which is as, as the vice president, you know, really in, in trying to maintain your strategic partnerships, what have you found is the most effective tool or tools to make this happen and keep the those partners working with? benefit equity.
2: You know, that's that's a great question. The 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 whole art and science of what I do is managing those strategic partnerships. Mm-hmm. And so getting in front of people through networking I've spent a career building my own network of interesting, talented people to work with. Networking events were very important to, to get in front of people and to manage those strategies. i give of myself. I, I've said it on LinkedIn, that's kind of my tagline. My success their success is my success and vice versa. I'm trying to help them grow their practice. They're not an expert in necessarily the the nuts and bolts of a retirement plan. They're expert in selling investments, or their expertise is selling insurance, or their expertise is you know doing the tax returns. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they know some piece of what I do. In the end of the day, it is our resources and our knowledge that helps them you know be be ultimately successful with their client. And that, and it's just—it's my life. I have to make them successful to be successful.
1: Right. Sounds like a pretty complicated arena to be in. And sometimes those relationships can be difficult. I think you mentioned a good point. They have to be successful for you guys to be successful. That's ultimately the net net in most of these strategic partnerships. When we talk all the time with people want to be partners with us. But in the end, if it can't, you know, can't be that mutually beneficial thing and there isn't some good ways to measure it some good ways for it to work it's never going to work that's cool. best intentions never never get you anywhere right that's right and that's
2: why i've in the last couple of years i've kind of dedicated myself to giving the referrals back mm-hmm. and that's difficult for me because my business comes to me through a referral network and i have to be sensitive to those relationships so i can't just start referring business back when i should take it back to the referral source and let, you know, so it's, it's sticky, but in the end, um, you know, we find ways to do it. And and I've found a tremendous, more success in doing that.
1: Mm -hmm. You've been with Benefit Equity, as you mentioned, for about 18 years. And, but before that you, I think you mentioned, I'm not sure if you said the company name, but uh, Gorlick and and Associates, and that was the one with your father, correct? Correct. Okay. And you function really there as an executive recruiter. So this obviously helps you really fine tune your ability to seek out the most talented individuals, but based on your experiences, what were some of the maybe the top two or three elements that companies need to consider when seeking the top talent for their business?
2: You know, it's changed. Uh, I was an executive headhunter, you know, throughout the late 80s and early and mid 90s um, before the internet, and so I think the internet has made an impact on how people at least source talent, but in the end, I think it's still people. You know, you still have to be able to understand who you are talking to. And as, an, as a headhunter, it was my job to source the talent, as, as you well know. And we, my father, um, had a process to understand simple, common sense things to determine, you know, was this the appropriate candidate for this particular client. Most of the time, it ended up being common sense. It mm-hmm. ended up being... Were they smart? Did they have the capacity to think? Yes, you can look at a pedigree. You can look at experience. But a resume doesn't tell you if they're going to be successful. A Mm -hmm. resume barely gets you in the door. I happen to like looking at resumes, I I find it to be a fascinating thing. You can tell, for me, I can tell uh, if a resume was designed from a book. Or from some you know someone gave a template or if someone put some thought behind it of what it is they're trying to sell about themselves mm-hmm. and I, I kind of hone that craft as a, as a recruiter which in the end all my friends all my family I get to do resumes all the time that's my that's my curse <laughs> I'm like the resume guy in our family right but instead so of uh, calling
1: you over to fix the computer they call you over to fix, fix the, the resume. resume okay you, you got it
2: <laughs> but in the end it really is about understanding people their knowledge, their skills i would interview my, my candidates for those jobs and simply ask them to put together a timeline of strategic points in their life and those points represent skills and attributes so you could say you could take your resume flip it on its axis and do a timeline instead of you know job 1 in here job 2 here you know or college or whatever look at those moments in time and describe what skills did you learn at that point in your life mm-hmm. and preparing someone to talk about their skills is not exactly an easy thing to do you have to give it something to relate to so i would get, say or come up with an example that proves you had that skill you know for example if you were talking about your time management and you were in the college when you kind of learned how to manage your time better you know, what was it that helped you manage your time? Well, using a planner, you know, back in the day we used actually paper to plan right, things. Right, a
1: day planner, right? Yeah, a day, yeah
2: that thing around. day runner, remember that? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, writing things down and executing what you wrote down. Well, what did that lead to? So identifying a skill, identifying an example of the skill, and then what was the outcome? What was the proof? Did you improve something? Did you get better grades? Were you, mm-hmm. you know, did you get promoted at work? You know, what was it that you uh, could come as an outcome that was positive, the accomplishment, if you will? and do that for every point along the line really does help you answer the question, tell me about yourself. And isn't that what most unskilled managers are asking today? Tell me about yourself.
1: Right, in a detailed way that will somehow, well, and you could really argue that most of these hiring managers are just looking for a reason to disqualify you, right, when they should be looking for those things, those examples to maybe really align them with who they're really looking for. That's
2: right. I've always found the unskilled manager is prevalent. The, where's the training for hiring? Mm-hmm. And that's always been a problem that I've seen.
1: So now in your role, uh, you're really looking at talent again. And so once you kind of get talent in the door in your company that you're for benefit equity, how do you continually develop them to get maybe a little bit more out of them or kind of get them to the next
2: level? You know, we're a small business. You know, We're 18 people. Uh, we hire some fairly young people through the college recruiting system, mm-hmm. uh, and then we try to grow our own talent, uh, yet I have a whole host of senior administrators that work for me that have been doing this for 20, 30 years, so there's a balance of the, the two kind of types of people, the older folks, you know, the senior folks, you know, they are who they are, they're very good, they're very smart, and, and I kind of, they're a hands-off, we, we have a very hands-off t- style of management, because they they're self-motivated, Right. it's like managing a little accounting business I- within our business. But the junior folks, you know, they're they're just what you would think of. They're they're hungry. They're trying to gain knowledge so they can move their career forward. Uh, so it's important that we. It's a communication issue for me. It's staying in a one-on-one as as much as possible to allow them a, a, a forum to speak, tell me what's on their mind, what concerns they have about their job or the people they work with, but give them a structure that they can talk about. How to move their career forward for us it's it's not terribly complicated and you know, we put them through an education classroom setting and then on the job um to learn the techniques of retirement plans and there's that, that takes years mm-hmm. and, and once you build on that uh you're able to take on more responsibility to manage your own block of business so for me as a manager you know this morning i was just talking with one of my my youngest sharpest people who uh who had concerns about his job and uh, where he was going. And we spent uh, like an impromptu 40, 30 or 40 minutes about stepping back and looking at the job and where he wants to be and I, me just framing it for him so that he has confidence. So mm-hmm. as a manager, it's about giving your people confidence that they're right. they're, they're being heard.
1: Right. So you have an op- opportunity for them to communicate, to let you know what they're thinking, and fr- and really an opportunity for you to coach them as well. Exactly that uh, sometimes can be huge. Is that person coachable? Will they allow that coaching? Is it and then will the manager then turn around and actually
2: coach them is some huge hurdles sometimes in organizations, which is what I'm trying to find when I hire them. Are they trainable? Are they coachable? Mm-hmm. And that's my, my techniques are asking questions of giving me examples of you know when you had to learn something and how, what was the success or failure of, of what you were doing? Yeah. I need people to articulate that.
1: Well, and to your point, I, I read an article and I think it was in Inc. magazine about really hire for the attributes, hire for what they can do, not necessarily their experience. So to your point of being coachable, you can get someone who's really smart, really diligent, really fits the build. Maybe they don't know everything they need to know about your business, but if they can learn it and they're going to be a great employee, mm-hmm. it's not a lot better than bringing in someone who has all the knowledge but has just
2: has bad habits,
1: bad habits, <laughs> and is just a disruption to the organization. Agreed. Yeah. I think I might know the answer to this next question, but we'll see. Maybe it'll surprise me. You mentioned your your father and you mentioned your uncle as well. But when you think about your own personal leadership development, is there an individual or individuals who you really identify with or you think have the
2: greatest impact on your own leadership skills? Well, clearly, the two you mentioned, my, my dad and my uncle, very big influences on me. My dad for the, his work ethic, mm-hmm. pure work ethic, uh, learned that very early on in my life that that was important From my uncle's standpoint he, he he's a best practice guy he wants to understand how to to be successful and use everything around him that the, the tools if you will to make you successful he wants to understand that so again learning how to use best practices came from him um, I was a Vistage member for many years, mm-hmm. um, and my Vistage chair, you've heard of Vistage? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sure you have as, as, a, as the business as I'm kitchen. in a
1: similar group, and that's not Vistage, but similar idea.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, my Vistage chair was phenomenal. She taught me one, well, many things. One clear thing I think about every day when I'm going through my day, listening to learn. this That simple phrase, listening to learn, as opposed to listening to respond. Mm -hmm. You know, I always found myself listening to someone speaking to me, and then I was trying to process that in my head so I could respond intelligently. But if you're taking the time to process and you're not listening to really what's being said, you might miss something. And certainly you're not learning much. You're just kind of pulling from your own filing cabinet. Right. And that concept of the filing cabinet came from her. And and the bottom line is it gave me a tremendous amount of confidence and, and ultimately then some more success based on the relationship that was building because you're listening more and more intently and you're trying to actually fill your head with more knowledge from that person mm-hmm. than yep. just trying to pull from your own knowledge.
1: Yeah, and that's an important point because, you know, we talked about early on that when I kind of go to these shows and we talk to different people or people here on the radio show, it's tough to sometimes get someone to share and get someone to to really give kind of a real answer and a real moment and something very specific. But when they do, it's important to take that moment to really try to listen. You said to kind of, I would say, you try to let it sink in for a moment, right? Yeah. To the point that maybe you might remember it. Um, I think we only keep maybe 10, 15% of what we hear anyways. Sure. So if you can remember something really important and put that into your 10, 15% instead of the junk, that can have a huge impact. So uh, it sounds like you had a, some really good people in your life that influenced you and, and taught you some different things that really I may mean, mentored you in a way that that was very positive
2: yeah absolutely uh, and one of my one of the key people in my life indirectly was actually my wife's boss learning through her mm-hmm. things about customer service right? Right. oh my gosh one of the one of the brightest ladies I've ever met and to learn, how she was, how my wife was learning about customer service over the years. You know, she's worked for her for 15 plus years. I actually through osmosis, I guess, if you want to say right. that, learned a lot of techniques. And, uh, and so I kind of give her props when 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 I need to, because you know that was a huge influence.
1: Hmm. In really looking at learning and getting better, we're talking about how you do that and help your own staff and how you've done that early on. But curious if there is maybe a specific skill or a technique that you feel maybe really contributes to your role now, but you had to really work on over time. That maybe wasn't a natural thing or wasn't something that you were good at early on. You talked about to get the time management example, like mm-hmm. you know, people sometimes get that in college. I gotta buckle down and learn how to deal with their time a little better. Was there something like that for you that
2: you had to deal with and learn? Absolutely. Listening again, I'm going back to listening. Mm-hmm. Listening to respond in a way that's more of an educated way. Early on in my career I was so obsessed with learning my trade and as a pension consultant. There were so many rules and regulations to learn, and and then how to apply that to the situation at hand. I was obsessed with it, and to the point when I was out doing my job as a sales person selling a retirement plan, um, I'd be sitting down with an HR manager who's trying to you know select a vendor for her 401k plan, and I was part of that vendor team. For me, it was a it was an insecurity to learn or to convey what I knew to the HR person so that she could be educated Mm. and I would do it in such a way where I was coming across just flat arrogant because I knew everything or at least that was the perception right and you know it happened a few times in a row where I had people giving me feedback about you know I wouldn't work with him he was just too arrogant and I to me you know I, I never viewed myself as an arrogant person so I really just said what was the soul searching going on there. And it, as it turned out, it was it was my insecurity to want to make sure that they knew that I knew this stuff. Mm-hmm. That I just needed to say less. I just needed to listen more, say less, say less, and allow the process to happen. And as soon as I turned that switch, it was night and day.
1: I can't tell you how many people I've I've talked to that have given that advice. We've had people on the show that give that advice. How many books I've read that have given that advice. Um, some, some, the, probably the smartest people I've ever met, top five, have all given me that advice. And I, and it suddenly dawned on me one day, like, why don't people listen more? Well, because everyone's telling them to listen more, but they're not listening to begin with. <laughs> so they're not hearing the advice, right? Mm-hmm. And m- imagine what else they're missing out on. I mean, it, it, It's, a, I think, kind of a rare trait that you just mentioned, kind of being introspective, being open enough to say, what's wrong or why aren't I being successful? What do I need to do to change to be more effective here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and most people don't do that. It's just everyone else needs to change. Everyone else needs to make, you know, allowances for them or what have you, instead of making that alteration to your own personality or your own delivery uh, to be better. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. So uh, our our favorite uh, question has arrived. (laughs) I'm not sure if it will be your favorite, but it's our favorite, which is, what are you reading right now?
2: Oh goodness, I read that question and I'm like, you know, this is my busiest time of year. I'm reading all day long. I get home, but the last thing I want to do is read, so I'm not, I'm purposely not reading anything right now.
1: Which is fine. Sometimes you need to break. Sometimes you need to clear your mind and and have time to let other things happen. So,
2: but uh, my my go-to read is more of self-help. You know, just trying to improve and gain perspective. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm not really a junkie with it, but you know, on my bookshelf, I've. I've had some interesting books in the past, and I'm sure your guests have talked about them in the past. I think Fierce Conversations is a book that I've read that I just has made a huge impact on me. It allowed, you know, Again, I'm not, I don't come from a, a family that was really um, easy to confront other folks with, so the fear mm-hmm. of confrontation was, you know, I didn't learn that from my, my parents and their parents. Um, that book teaches you how to have a very good, you know, intense conversation when it, there's conflict. And mm-hmm. so I've, I, I've used that forever. I I thought that was a fascinating book.
1: Yeah, fear of confrontation is pretty big for most people. That they would just rather, which is why there's another really good book called Start With No that we really have enjoyed in our organization. And it gets into that same psychology that people are afraid to say no. They don't want to have that, that, really, that conversation or that confrontation. And so they'll say yes, or they'll say maybe, or they'll push you up. And so you don't end up getting a real answer. You right. don't have that. Instead of just giving them permission and saying, hey, mm-hmm. if the answer's no, just tell me no. It's okay. And they will eliminate that confrontation. And ultimately, when you get no, sudden, suddenly you get to go a lot farther. Okay, well, why is it no? Well, you don't do this. Well, no, we do do that. So you suddenly have a much, much deeper conversation and maybe even a, a deeper or longer relationship with that person than
2: suddenly they're out of your old attacks, right? I- absolutely agreed. Yeah, that's that's taken, taken me a while to to understand Again, I wasn't learning it growing up, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, clearly having an honest conversation with friends and family and and business colleagues, it's something I needed to practice with and and make a real attempt to communicate.
1: Yeah. Well, you told us a little story here before the radio show started about the first time you were on a radio program and and keeping that, that cassette tape. Um, at least it wasn't a phonograph, but it was cassette tape uh, of the show and listening to yourself uh, and how you delivered it and, and going back and critiquing yourself and probably working on your delivery, working on removing those ums or those awkward pauses or wh- whatever they may be uh, something I'm always struggling with but having to listen to myself you know each week in a different setting each time. but um, was, was that something you felt helped you with your delivery early on with? dealing with clients or dealing with employees, or where did you feel like that really gave you the most benefit?
2: Well, it definitely made a, an impact listening back to that recording and, and not hearing the continuity. And I remembered what a, what a professor, I went to Cal State Fullerton, and I remember one of my professors right in the middle of a presentation tell me, if I hear the word, um, one more time, I'm going to fail you. And so, that, I mean, nothing will motivate a student so you faster. Switch, you switched to, a. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> you know but it made me think it made me think you know if if you're going to spend your life in sales you're going to be making presentations you mm. need to have a cohesive thought and not you need to try you need to really work at it it is right. something and so that, that cassette tape I was mentioning it really helped me hone my uh, presentations to make it you know easy to understand and, and follow
1: so we're uh, getting here to the end I wanted to make sure we asked you uh, one final question which was how do people get a hold of you and find out more about your company if
2: they're interested in doing more? Well, they can uh, um, use my email address, uh, which is probably the fastest, most effective way, which is m. mgorlick, spelled G-O-R-E-L-I-C-K, at benefitequity.com. Um, benefitequity.com is also our website address. You uh, we can follow us. Um, we're not real active with it, but we're getting started with, with a corporate Facebook page and... Um, Uh, my LinkedIn page. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, uh, that would be the most effective way.
1: Great. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you being on the show today. You're a great guest. Uh, Hopefully you will uh, consider coming back for us in the future and keeping us
2: updated on what you're doing. Oh, I had a wonderful time. Thank you for having me. Thank
1: you. Up next, Lisa Perrin will be on the show after we take this quick commercial break.
0: He used to pester me for a walk. Now, it's the other way around. Hoag physicians perform more orthopedic procedures than any other hospital in Orange County. Our orthopedic program, in fact, ranks among the top five in the entire country. So whatever it is you live for, you can get back to it sooner. Because as it turns out, the best part of life is simply living it. Hoag for life. Visit us at www.hoag.org. And now back with more Talent Talk and our
1: second guest. My next guest is Lisa Perrin, CEO of Symbalta Systems Corporation. And uh, just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by clicking on octalkradio.net, clicking on the Shows tab, and, of course, clicking on Talent Talk. As we mentioned earlier in the show, we've amassed a very large following, and we're very proud of that. So check us out on iTunes and the Android market there. Don't forget, you can also tweet your questions live right now for Lisa by sending them to peopleg 2 hashtag talent talk. But let's go ahead and get started. Lisa,
3: welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Good to be here. Thanks.
1: So tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background and, of course, your company, Cymbalta Systems. Uh, Cybola Systems. Cybola. So I'm saying it all wrong. I have completely <laughs> have done the the most, the, uh, the cardinal sin of any radio host is saying it in, incorrectly. It's fine. So say it correctly it's again for us. Cybola Systems. Cybola. There we go. Yeah. I'm going to write it phonetically here, so okay. I don't screw it up again. Go so ahead.
3: We are a systems integration firm, and as you know, Chris, we take all kinds of different communication technologies and put them together in interesting ways, so uh, mostly professionals can... can communicate with each other better and then we design custom environments that we put those in and so we have a pretty diverse um, staff that includes a team of architects and engineers and business folks my own background is actually not engineering it's design Mm -hmm. and I have an undergrad in design started out uh, in a product design studio first doing Airstream trailers and then doing some work in MTV studios early MTV studios and uh, from there... You mean on. like when they played music? Uh, where they were producing. Okay. Yeah. Pro- producing <laughs> uh, musical videos. It's you know, It right. seems pretty easy now, but back then it was a pretty complex process. Right. So I um, started in studio design and then found my way into designing environments and technologies that help people communicate. A little bit of background. So
1: it makes sense with the you being in design, kind of given some of the projects that I, I know you've worked on. Maybe you could share, you don't have to give us a name, but maybe some... Uh, an idea of what you've done, because some some things are pretty unique. I mean, you're bringing in all these different bits of technology to really go into an environment, but maybe for the audience's perspective, what what would be one of those environments you might do that in?
3: I'll actually talk about one that people can visit, and maybe some of the folks listening have been there. It's Mm -hmm. the Annenberg Space for Photography that's in Century City, and it's a beautiful space that the Annenberg family sponsored where uh, photography is presented both digitally and also in print. And um, these wonderful 4K resolution um, voice of the photographer pieces are produced for the shows that they do. So they've done shows on beauty and sports and so on, and um, and so it has you know very high resolution, enormous screens, and ability to have um, photographers come in by video and real time and talk about you know during special events about their work. It's quite an exciting space. Yeah, and it's free. It's a it's a great place to be. Even it. better, it's yeah. something anyone can access. it's <laughs> not to love?
1: So as the CEO of uh, Cibola Systems. I've kind of said it correctly now. What have kind of been the biggest challenges you've had to adapt to as a leader uh, and, and a developer of talent? Because you're dealing with a lot of really, it sounds like people who have a, a maybe a pretty good resume. They're very accomplished themselves. They have a very unique and specific thing. So how do you, how do you get the most out of those people?
3: Well, I think, in a way, that's two questions. And um, we hire a lot of engineers. it's probably four. It's probably four. <laughs> we hire a lot of engineers. and in um, the thing we look for, of course, we look for an engineering background. Mm-hmm. but we really look for things that are also important, particularly in what we do, helping Folks communicate better, and uh, one of those is empathy. So we really want um, our engineers to be able to empathize with our clients and understand their communication challenges. We look for creative problem solving because we work in large, diverse teams that go far beyond our own staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then um, we also look for um, highly ethical people. Uh, we think mm-hmm. that's as important as anything. And those things are maybe things you can't teach someone. If we find a bright person that has those qualities and is also interested in what we do, then we have the ability to really pretty much teach them whatever else they need to learn.
1: So the stereotype of an engineer would not be one I would use the word empathetic next to. So And, and that may not necessarily be true, but have you found that to be a challenge to find those people who are really good at being engineers and also really highly empathetic people?
3: Um, I think that it's, it's sometimes a challenge no matter what people's background and interests. Sure, is. Sure. So I wouldn't generalize with one mm-hmm. profession or one strength or another. Um, some people are more empathetic than others, and it's not to say people without it, but they aren't great people, too. Right. They're just not necessarily good at what we do.
1: Right, right. It's an important part of your, your success and how your company moves forward. Yeah, that makes sense. So as technology has, an, has changed and improved probably quite radically during your company's uh, history, it's obviously changed in the way you function and the needs of your clients. So I'm sure maybe it's really affected the way you go about procuring talent for your company. Maybe, what are some of the keys in finding the most talented people that you use today? Maybe before you actually evaluate them, before you actually say, "Are they empathetic and are mm-hmm. they?" What are some of the things you're doing just to find them?
3: Craigslist and universities, right. uh, you know, and uh, and I'll make a plug for Decision Toolbox because when we have a particular mm-hmm. challenge, I know Kim's been a guest here before. Yeah. Um Decision Decision Help uh, Toolbox helps us out, but but we do a lot with um, with going to the the universities, whether we're looking for somebody with a business degree. Or an engineering degree, or you know, an architectural degree. That's that's where we go first. Yeah, to yeah. the alumni networks.
1: The alumni network, that's good. Yeah, and, and Kim's a good resource. When I mean, we've had some special projects and had some unique things, uh, it's been Kim, uh, who's also a sponsor of the show, whose commercial we played just before we started with Lisa, um, is, is definitely a good uh, resource as well here in Orange County. So, you know, as the CEO, who's who or what has had the greatest impact on your own professional development?
3: I saw that question ahead of time and gave it a lot of thought. I've been fortunate to have a lot of mentors, um, starting with my my dad, who's 90 years old this year. He was a great mentor for me. He was a banker, bank manager, and um, have been involved in a lot of of, um, peer groups like ABL, which Mm -hmm. is where we first met, and uh, Vistage. Um, and have also been able to have a lot of education, so I got a master's in business, and recently I think you know i got a doctorate in leadership right and, and so those were all big um, impacts on me and have helped me develop. but I also want to um, want to say that I, I think I owe a big debt to some folks that I volunteered for for years, and that's the Sisters of St. Joseph and St. Joseph Health System. Um, you know their approach to business. And, uh, and they are in business you know they run hospitals mm-hmm. not-for-profit hospitals um, I, I think that's been um, just a great learning experience for me they're they're known for their um, their faith their flexibility and their foresight and I think that sums it up I've really I've had some great mentors that were sisters and have really appreciated that
1: well you mentioned some very dynamic people and and it, it amazes me how many guests actually end up bringing up one or sometimes both of their parents uh, sometimes someone from some sort of religious or faith-based thing as well mm-hmm. and and then of course the other most common one is an early opportunity or someone who very early on kind of really taught them the ropes or showed them and kind of let them in on the secret earlier than maybe they were supposed to get mm-hmm. in. you know mm-hmm. kind of has a, a big impact so from your position as, a, as an executive or top executive in your company what do you feel is the most important things that you want people in your organization to know about success and utilizing their own personal talents to the fullest?
3: We have a bit of a different approach than some firms, I think. I'm I'm a believer that it's important to help people connect with their, their inner passion and their dreams, whether it has anything to do with their current job or not, mm-hmm. and um, have have really had the privilege of working with a lot of talented people over the years that made a career change. And that meant they left us, which is always, you know, it's bittersweet. But one went on to um, become... A teacher of people who are financial planners. Um, one went on to become a, a math teacher in the the footsteps of her father, and, mm-hmm. um, and you know several people have just gone on to, to great success and used this as a stepping stone. And so I encourage that from the very beginning when somebody starts with us, and we like to have those conversations over time about what are you dreaming of, and what can we do to help you reach that goal, whether it has anything to do with Sibola or not.
1: Right. And that gets maybe into that idea of purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, if they understand what their purpose is in life, in your company, uh, anywhere, that that has a huge impact on how successful they're going to be, how engaged they're going to be, um, and really if they're going to be that right person for you.
3: And actually, two of our really senior people who are are great assets to the company came back Wow. To us after after leaving for several years, and both of them came back with some great experiences and and you know even more to offer um, having been out in the world, I think that's a great compliment when someone what comes back.
1: Yeah, we, we call that a boomerang in our company. And we've had a few people that have done that. And we've had a, a few clients that have done that. You know, corporate directive came in, someone bought them, and mm-hmm. they decided they're going to leave. And lo and behold, a year later, they come knocking back going, Can we come back? Because we don't like this new thing that they made us do.
3: And you say yes. Oh,
1: of course, we say, Well, okay, yeah, of course. But we call that a boomerang. You know, they, they come back eventually. We've had some boomerangs. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm interested if, if you feel like, you know, maybe over time do you think you've changed as a leader? Yes. And what what kind of brought about brought
3: about those changes for you? This is really a, a pretty personal story, but um but during my career I was I was married before to a um a man who passed away. And before that, um, his name was Paul. And before that I was really driven and uh and very impatient and I think going through a long illness with him gave me a different attitude about being more patient and, and you know savoring each day mm-hmm. um, and I've, I've brought that definitely to how I lead the company I'm much different as a person than I used to be we have a 4 410 work week and we've done that for years and years um, when we hire people we make sure that they're comfortable with not expecting their peers their colleagues um, to you know, be working on the weekends and nights and, and that they'll be respectful of that. And it's a huge part of our culture. And frankly, it's one of the reasons why people stay with us for so long, too. Right. Because it gives them a lot of balance in their life.
1: Yeah. And that, that can be a challenge because sometimes people really love what they're doing. They want to work all the time. And getting them to keep that balance can be a mm-hmm. challenge. And sometimes it's you can selfishly want that as the business owner, as the CEO, them to to want to take that as far as they want to take it but they need that balance Mm -hmm. i I remember having a conversation with one of our salespeople a few months ago and i literally said you need to take a vacation you've not taken one in like two years you need to go and take a vacation you know i don't think i need because he just he likes what he's doing he Mm -hmm. works hard and i finally had a funny saying that i actually got from kim shepherd which was i told him okay he picked his time and i said now if you're you know if you're wired you're fired during that time. That to, sounds you, like Kim, doesn't it? Sounds like Kim, yeah. You're done. You know, you just, I don't want to hear from you. No one wants to hear from you. We're so. not taking
3: your calls. Right.
1: <laughs> and it was good for him. Yeah, that that break to think about things and spend more time with his family. So you talked a little bit about um, kind of having to make some of those changes over time, but do you think there's a, a specific skill or technique that you really had to work on that wasn't maybe something natural for you that you're born with that it maybe really helps you today.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really introverted, mm-hmm. and so it was a, a real growing process for me to learn how to be introverted and to be a leader of an organization. And I think what it did was it made me a good listener, and uh, it helped me teach other people to be good listeners, even if they're not introverted. Mm-hmm. So I, I came to realize that it, it can really be an asset. Right, And, of course, I've had to overcome, because I do public speaking and and uh, a lot of presentations and work with clients and with our own team, um, I've had to overcome being shy. didn't change being introverted, but I've definitely overcome being shy. So does being introverted or
1: shy, however you want to frame it, is it more of a challenge in a small group setting or one-on-one, or is it the same, I mean, or is it being a big group different? Because I, I, I kind of find that big group doesn't bother me. It's one-on-one doesn't bother me get in we got our abl group get into 12 and i feel uncomfortable Hmm. you know i feel this weird and because i don't it's not the same as a big group and it's not the same as that dynamic one-on-one or one-on-two that you get
3: i don't think i feel that way i just need a lot of quiet time to to make up for the energy that goes into being around people Hmm. whether it's you know presenting to 800 people or you know working with three teammates at at work i just need downtime.
1: You that's, oh, that's so interesting. I, I guard that. Yeah. So it's not the actual interaction itself. It's just that you can get almost exhausted from having to put up your best, mm-hmm. you know, self out there.
3: <laughs> yeah. You just need time to, to refresh. And I think, you know, the conventional wisdom is that extroverts get energy from being with people. And introverts expend energy and need time to recharge alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly true of me. But I love to be with people. It's not yeah. that. It just ha- happens to be how I'm wired. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So one of our favorite uh, questions here on the show uh, that we'd love to really learn from our guests through is, is, what are you reading right now?
3: Ah, I'm glad you asked that question. Last week, I was fortunate to be at a conference, a small conference, and got to hear a gentleman named Morton Hansen speak, and uh, he partnered up with Jim Collins to write something called Great by Choice. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of books loaded on my iPad, but I actually got a book from him, (laughs) so I'm reading a book, which is fun. And uh, and it's it doesn't it doesn't actually uh, you know act like a sequel for instance to uh, Good to Great which was you know right. Jim Collins last book that most of us have probably read. Um, it's it's about a research project and I love that because I love research. Mm-hmm. It's a large part of what we do, and um, it's a research project that's that's about you know a very few companies that outperformed, way outperformed their competitors through good and bad times and what was. Um, consistent about them. So I haven't finished it, but what's what's interesting to me is they talk about 10x leadership and maybe you've read the book, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm i uh, rereading Good to Great it's been a while and I I, cause I just saw Jim Collins at the Inc. conference in mm. Washington D.C. and uh, he was so dynamic. He was so good. Great uh, speaker. Great speaker. And I thought, you know what? It's been so long. I couldn't even remember some of the things in the book. I remember the general ideas, but I didn't remember the real specifics. And I read it so long ago, I thought, I need to go back to it. And fortunately, they gave us, uh, co- for almost all the speakers, we got copies of their books. So you have real books, too. So Yeah, it's, it's unusual. It's weird to be holding it. it is. You know, it's so great. That's a good feeling. I find, though, that I read faster, and I, f- I read more often if I do stick to my iPad. I don't know if I've just gotten in the habit. Probably. I wasn't ever in the great habit of reading books to begin with. Prior to really getting, coming as CEO and all, everything, I would read as little as possible in school and take all my notes and just learn. I learned other ways because I didn't, whatever reason, I like to spend too much time in the book. And then now I find myself spending a lot more time in books, but it seems to be the electronic format. I don't know why that is. In between Candy Crush or whatever it is, but you know something about it, it. But I do have some of the books at home, and it's nice to have a change sometimes.
3: I don't think it matters for me. I, I'm, I can go either way, but it, it's just fun to be holding a book. Right. Um, the smell it, is nice, though. It is. If you get a, if you get a chance to read this book, contrast the the level five leadership from from good to great with mm-hmm. the 10x leadership because there is a difference, and uh, and I think you'll enjoy reading about that. Do you prefer
1: or does one seem like it's superior to the other or is it just a different perspective? Just
3: a different perspective. I mean, I think, you know, being a 10X leader, the, if I can remember exactly um, correctly, uh, there are three facets of it. One is empirical creativity, so basing your creativity on and fact and research. Um, one is fanatic discipline, so, you know, that makes mm-hmm. sense, you know, being having very consistent action. And the third, which I loved, is productive paranoia, which... <laughs> um, I've been a fan for years of, of scenario planning, and that's a that's a great right. version of production paranoia. Or right. productive paranoia.
1: Yeah, I mean, the level five, being a level five leader, I remember from the book with, with Jim Collins, seemed a bit intense. Like almost to this point of how do you ever become that person? It's almost I don't want to say an unachievable goal, but it's a pretty high one. So maybe the ten x can frame it in a way that's a little bit more attainable. That would that would be nice, and, and people might actually be a little more willing to work towards it. Because I know we've we've talked about the level five before and it almost just seems too far, you know, for us. I'd like to ask you about your creative process. We talked a lot about your company and the people in there and uh, certainly the fact that you're a designer and you have a lot of creative people in the organization Mm -hmm. as well. So how do you brainstorm effectively with your team?
3: you know some of it is conventional brainstorming but we actually we get to play with stuff we bring mm-hmm. in tools technologies ways of thinking but you know a lot of physical stuff and we actually get it put it together and and play with it and see what it does we've been playing with something called that i'm really interested in um, emotion detection or effective computing being able to understand what somebody's emotional state is by um the feedback that you get from mobile devices wow and so you know we're we're working on setting up a little lab to play with that for a while and see how we can bring that to our clients as, as a new tool that'll help them communicate particularly when they're in you know remote locations so a lot of our clients use a lot of video conferencing or other kinds of of um telepresence telehealth right so that's that's something we're playing with so we actually we get to do that um together which is fun i i think the, the thing that's most important is making it safe for people to experiment and and to have failed experiments creating a safe environment in general mm-hmm. um you know where you don't there's no retribution even on a project you know what if we if we make a mess of something we we're ethical enough to go back and fix it and say we're sorry and and you know we learn from it but we don't we don't jump on the people who tried to do something new and, you know, it wasn't quite successful this time. Right. Is that how you kind of get the most
1: creativity out of people as mm-hmm. well, and just keeping that kind of open environment? Mm-hmm. and
3: Encouraging people to experiment.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also and if they make a mistake, as long as they're not continuing to make that mistake over and over and over again, but to bring that forward right. and... And, and share it with
3: everybody else so no one else makes a mistake. Exactly, yeah.
1: yeah. And that's a very unique uh, thing that some really good companies have, as It really is a trait of their culture. And it's hard, though, to install. It's hard to get people, I have found, if, especially if you're not doing it to begin with, to mm-hmm. make that change. Maybe so. It takes time to get people to really trust it. And I know we've had to, like, leaders in the organization have really had to be the ones to take that first plunge you know, over and over and over again, then suddenly everyone else below us is starting to really do it.
3: Yeah, share your own mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's super
1: important. Right. So if if I'm doing it, well, then they can do it. You know, I'm not just asking them to do it while I hide behind my mistakes Mm -hmm. and not admit them, right? (laughs) So how do you encourage others who were working for you to really develop their own talent and to become better and better. You talked about purpose. We talked about how you have some people kind of moved on mm-hmm. and in a bittersweet capacity. But is there anything specific that we haven't talked about that you're doing to really get them to develop themselves to be I mean, you went back to school, right? You're now a doctor. I should have called you Dr. Lisa. No, don't do that.
3: Okay. <laughs> but how do you get people, other people to do that? You know, I think it's a combination. It has to come from, from what works best for them because we're all different, aren't we? Um, so for some people, it's going to school. Um, one of the things we do is we we allow people to volunteer for a not-for-profit and we pay for some time for them to do that Mm -hmm. and that's a that's a great learning experience that develops other skill sets and probably i you know i talked about how much i've learned from volunteering i'm sure that's one of the reasons why i think it's so important it's a good thing to do for the world isn't it so um so that's one of the things i i think that that helps us um develop people i also use a tool which i really love called strength finders and maybe you've tried it it's a book that you buy and um it includes an online assessment and it looks at your strengths. It doesn't look at anything else. And it was called what again? Strengths finders. Strengths finders. It's, it's put okay. out by Gallup. Okay. And um and you know, I've i worked with many of our team after they've gone through the strengths finders to say, you know, now that you know, are you surprised and now that you see your, your five or six greatest strengths, what are what are the areas where you think you can use those more in your role? And are there other roles that we want to develop? you know, to let you take a shot at that Mm would use them even better. And it's, but I just love that it's so positive. It's fantastic in that sense.
1: Yeah. And there was another speaker at Inc and I'm just blanking on his name, but he just recently had a new book. And one of the things he talked about that I've kind of been trying to get people to talk about for a while was that, and he had some more analytical proof, was the most successful people do what they do really, really well. And that's what they focus on and everything else that they're not good at, they get rid of. They delegate it. They don't do it. And less successful people do a lot more of the things they're not good at. And so this is interesting because if this is another good way to maybe find out what you're Mm -hmm. good at, you can say, okay, I'm really good at writing or I'm really good at talking to people, whatever it is. I, I'm not sure if that's how it details it out. Maybe it's a different perspective. But, it's a little different, but yeah. you know,
3: you have the general idea.
1: And so to go do those things, but the other things are you're really bad at time management or you're really bad at communicating or whatever it may be, to stop doing those things and allow somebody else to jump in is really good at those things and really help your organization help you as well.
3: My my um, husband, Bob, my current husband, um, stole a line from the most interesting man in the world. He, some, it goes something like you must know what you're not good at and don't do that thing. Right. Right, Right. We hear it on the
1: commercials all the time. Yeah, you must know you're not good at it. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, I I can't tell you how many really successful people I've asked, you know, should you work at the things that you're not good at? And they say, of course you should work at them. You should always get better at the things you're not good at. And then I ask them, the follow-up question is, but do you do that? And they say, no. (laughs) They always say no. And I'm like, well, why? it's almost like this thing in our society. You're supposed to work at what you're not good at. You know, uh, I don't think that comes from sports. You know, if you're not good at the left-handed layups, you go practices a thousand times. That makes sense. But when you're talking more about thinking in a more
3: uh, business
1: atmosphere, I think it's much different. So here's the power
3: of the team, having having a team member, multiple team members that are symbiotic with one another, mm-hmm. and and you know, filling each other's strengths and weaknesses.
1: Yeah, and if you found a way to to really achieve that symbiosis of within a team within an organization that definitely is probably a big part of your your mix of so your secret sauce into being successful. Mm-hmm. The, the last question I have for you today uh, is how can people reach you or find out more about your company if they're interested in, in having a, you know something done with what you guys do
3: I would love for you to call me or email me and our contact information is at www.cibola. S-Y-S-T-E-M-S dot com. Cibola Systems. Cibola. Not
1: the other one that I said earlier in the show. So, (laughs) uh, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. You were great. And I hope you'll consider coming back and giving us an update at some point. Thanks, Chris. Very fun. That's about all the time we have today. Thanks again to my special guests, Michael Gorlick and Lisa Parham. Tune in uh, next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People g 2 to hear Katie Moore, Director of Recruitment, Marketing, and Technology at CACI International, and John Cecil, President and Co-Founder of Innovative Media Group. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions.